Good morning. Y'all are looking real good. It's been a long while since I've stood in this position. And uh, from my end, you're looking better than ever. So, <laughs> Yes, sir. My biggest concern this morning is that half hour time limit on my preaching. So I better get going here. We're going to be covering so many verses uh, in our message this morning. I don't know how in the world we're going to get through them all in uh, just a half hour. So open your Bibles, if you would, uh, to uh, Judges chapter 10. And you follow along as, as I read, and then we'll, we'll start the message. And after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamir in Mount Ephraim. And he judged Israel twenty and three years and died and was buried in Shamir. That's it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. That's, there's not a word anywhere in the Bible about Tola than this right here. Nothing said about what he did, how he did it. But he judged Israel for 23 years. I think it's really interesting. There's something so small that God has tucked into his word. But it's there. It's in the word of God. Tola. In the inspired word of God, God saw necessary to put two verses with Tola's name and not really say anything about him. As to what he did, other than the fact that God called him, raised him up to be a judge over Israel for 23 years. Brother Chris made it very clear to us what was going on in Israel at this time. He preached two great messages on two men that God raised up to be a judge to rescue Israel. And that's the... The situation here, there was a king by the name of Abimelech who has just died prior to what we read here in verses 1 and 2. Abimelech was a wicked man. Uh, he had several relatives. And when he became king, he had over 70 of those relatives killed so that he wouldn't have to worry about somebody coming and taking his throne. And things went down heal real fast from that point on with Abimelech. And now he's dead. Israel's fallen into sin again. And they need to be rescued. Is there anybody here other than me that has a problem with sin? <laughs> uh, got a lot of liars here. There's a lot of sin. <laughs> Tola. Who in the world is Tola? Israel needs rescued again. Who's Tola? His parents, we find that his dad's name is mentioned there. Pua. That's all. No, nowhere else in the Bible. Don't know anything about him. Just his dad's name. And his grandpa's name is mentioned Dodo. Maybe it had 
been better off not to have mentioned <laughs> Grandpa's name. Now, I had a friend that I grew up with. He was one of nine boys in a family, and, and they had one daughter, and her name was Garnella, and she was tougher than any of the boys. <laughs> and right in the middle of the family, there was a boy named Dodo. And he was built, I mean, this guy was really muscular and athletic. And, and after I got well acquainted with him, uh, I wanted to ask him if that was his real name. Well, I'd seen several guys come along and, and they'd be introducing themselves to each other. And, and they'd say, what's your name? And he'd say, Dodo. And they would laugh. And they only laughed once. <laughs> So I made sure I knew him well, and I asked him one day, I said, Dodo, what's your real name? And he said, Dodo. And I said, you're kidding me. And he said, no. And then he told me the story as to why he is called Dodo. And I'll leave that where it's at, okay? <laughs> but his dad actually named him Dodo. So we see here that uh, Tola's grandfather uh, is named Dodo. His dad's name is Pua. Uh, but we don't know anything else about the family. Why told You know, other men that were greatly used of God, we know quite a bit about them. You go to the very front of the Bible, we see Adam, and God used Adam in a great way, and we know a lot about Adam. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Boy, we knew a lot about most of these guys that God used. Joshua, Joseph, Tola. <laughs> no, don't know anything about him. Why did God choose Tola? Often people who come from such obscurity have a feeling of inferiority. They're not known. Nobody knows anything about them. Nobody in the family has ever accomplished anything. They have nothing of great material value. Uh, we know nothing about Tola's family. But God used Tola. Had humble beginnings, apparently. A man who whose life was most likely very routine. Does that sound familiar? I don't want to be making any of us feel like we're no accounts, that we don't really amount to much. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of times over the years that I've found in ministry, people would say, Pastor, God can't use me. I'm a nobody. I'm a no account. I have nothing, I am, you know, why would God want to use me? Why did God use Tola? And God used him. Very few, if any of us, will make front page headlines because of the great accomplishments of our life. And I hope none of you make front page headlines because of uh, some other bad thing that might be done, but uh, uh, very few people you and I know are, are limelight people. Uh, 70 years old, I had my name on the front page just one time in my life. <laughs> 
Back in 1972, when we started a church in Shadron, Nebraska, I'd pulled up to the stoplight, the only stoplight in town, and uh, I looked both ways when it turned green, and I hit the gas and took off, and kaboom! A little girl on a bicycle came right in front of me, and I hit her. And I got out of the car. I was scared to death. She was scared to death. Didn't have a scratch on her. And she really got scared when the policeman gave her a ticket for riding her bike on the sidewalk. And her dad was hollering at her all the way to the car. (laughs) Poor little girl. But that was my front page news in Shadron, Nebraska. Tola, by worldly standards, was a very, very ordinary man. Here at Grace Church, God is doing some wonderful things. People are being saved. People are growing up in Jesus Christ. Your kids are being ministered to in a a most effective and wonderful way. Our teens are being mentored and, and, and growing up, having the Word of God imparted into their life. Some awesome things are happening. And it's taking people to see all of that done. Grace Church has, in my opinion, the greatest possible staff that we could possibly have. I appreciate these men that God has given to us to lead us here at Grace Church. You say, well, of course you would. The lead pastor is your son. Well, should I be any less appreciative of that? No, not at all. Uh, Boy, listen, uh, great things are happening because people are stepping up. But what about you? And I would dare say there's people right here this morning who are feeling that feeling in their heart. Well, preacher, if you just knew what I did, you'd know God wouldn't have anything to do with me. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Sorry, that excuse doesn't fly. God's grace will lift you up from the mire where you were, and He will make something and somebody of you in Jesus Christ. And you can be used of God. Look at Tola. An ordinary man. God used this ordinary man. Why Tola? Again, we don't know a whole lot. But whatever it was Tola had when God called him, he gave it to God to be used of God. And God used him for 23 years. Listen to this little phrase here. Shamgar had an ox goad. David had a sling. Dorcas had a needle. Rahab had a string. Little insignificant things that every one of these people, when you read the account of biblical history, you would see whatever it was they had in their hand, they gave it to God, and God used them in a mighty way. Look at you. Look at you. Don't look at me and wonder why did God use him. That's the first question I'm going to ask God when I stand before him. (laughs) Why in the world did you call me? What's in your hand? God used Tola. Tola didn't have much, but what he had, he gave to the Lord. Excuse me. (laughs) 
Tola was called by God from humble beginnings. He judged Israel 23 years. Could God use you? That's a quick, could God use you? Look at you. Look at you. Can God use you? Now, as it were a mirror, looking at yourself physically, and then looking inside your heart, look at you. Now, for just a moment, having looked honestly at yourself, look at your God. Why can't you be used of God? You see, some of us have put God in a box. Some of us really don't allow our God to manifest Himself and His power and His goodness to us and through us. Our God is pretty small. Listen, our God is the God who stood on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. That's our God. He's the one who hung on that cross and looked death right in the face. Died and was buried. Isn't death ridiculous? I don't know how many people I've buried over the years. But death is so hideous. And I've seen death do its ugly work on human flesh. And, and oh, death is a terrible thing. But Jesus looked death in the eye, laid himself down, and three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead. That's our God. Amen? Amen. Now, look at you. Look at our God. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, that's where you need to begin today. You need to realize you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you need to humble yourself before Him and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you'll find that He will do things in you and through you. Look at you. Are you being used of God? You can be used. Listen to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why can you not be used of God? We see little children, oh, they're just little kids, you know. They need to be nurtured, they need to be watched after, they need to be disciplined. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's that individual who has that childlike attitude that is totally dependent upon God. Your children, when they come into this world, are totally dependent upon you. And you nurture them, and you raise them up. And that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, is someone who has that very attitude. You don't come and say, hey God, uh, you're really going to be happy because I'm going to serve you. <laughs> no, we are what we are by the grace of God and nothing else. It's not because we're big shots, we're all little babies. <laughs> In and of ourselves. In our flesh dwells no good thing. 
But God uses little things. God uses humble things. God uses insignificant things. God used Tola. God wants to use you. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And those things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I want to read that same verse to you out of the NLT translation. Listen to this closely. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the uh, world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. It's him and him alone. Tola was used of God. Look at you. I want to just take a few minutes and share through personal example of how God will use a common individual, insignificant. I come from a a wonderful family, had a great dad and mother. My dad was a real gentleman, a hard worker, but never, ever in the limelight. Never once did I see him in the limelight. But man, he was a good father, a good provider, a great example for me and my mother. Can't say enough how wonderful she was. But we never had much. My dad finally bought a home in Pueblo, Colorado. And I remember the first night laying in that bed. And I was laying in, in the bed and looking towards the wall. And it was an old adobe house. And there was a hole all the way through the wall about that big between where some of the adobe blocks were together. And my dog was right outside and I'd whisper to him and he'd bark and he'd lick outside because he could hear me and smell me through that hole in the wall. And I made a mistake in telling my dad and he patched the hole in the wall. So, <laughs> But it wasn't much. Didn't have any doors. We all had curtains. We, we were very insignificant, very routine, very simple. But at nine years old, my parents having taken me to church from the time I was just a little boy, I came to know Jesus Christ at nine years old. 
And that same year, nine years old, God called me to preach. I don't know why. I didn't understand a whole lot about it, but I just knew in my heart that's what God wanted with my life. I didn't have much to give him, didn't have a testimony. I'd never been drunk, never shot up drugs. (laughs) The worst thing I did that I can remember is I stole a a whole bunch of dimes from Mr. Baker's garage pop machine where you lift the lid and grab a bottle out of the water and there was a change thing and he had the the cover off and I reached in and took a handful of dimes out and left. And uh, that's, I think, maybe the worst thing I'd done up to that point in time. But I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I didn't become a sinner because I did something wrong. I was born with a sin nature, and every one of us are that way. My dad never taught me how to steal, cuss, lie, and all that. But boy, I was good at it. Why? Because it comes natural. And I had to be born again, and so do you. You must be born again. God called me to preach. Man, I wish I could tell you of some wonderful things that God began to do with my life as a young man through high school and into college. And it's not because I am somebody, I'll guarantee you that. I'm scared to death to be up here this morning. It's like falling off a bike and now getting back on it after almost 10 years, you know. And uh, a mind that's not all there. I I was telling Andrea how I was sitting in the house talking to my wife and we were watching TV and I wanted to say something to her and I looked over and I couldn't remember her name. <laughs> Fifty years of marriage in one more year <laughs> and I couldn't remember her name. I'm scared to death standing up here wondering what I'm going to say. <laughs> ah, but you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be something big or good to be used of God. 1972, Mrs. Ross and I went to Shadron, Nebraska. I was 22 years old. And uh, we started a church there in Shadron. Had no support from anyone. Just drove up there when I pulled over the hill and I saw that city. God did something to my heart right then that I knew I was going to come start a church here whether the, the few families that contacted me who wanted to start a church wanted me or not. I was coming to Shadow. I had that perfect peace instantly when we topped that hill. We started that church. Didn't have a building. Sunday morning we met in a home. Sunday night we met in a different home. Wednesday night we met in another home. And uh, that's how we began. We had nothing. No offering plates. No song books. Absolutely nothing. We didn't have much. We had humble beginnings. After about a year... During that time, we were able to move into an old Lutheran church that uh, the Lutherans had built a new building. And one Sunday morning, they de- had their service, desanctified the altar, and let the Baptists move in that Sunday night. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were in good shape there. And I never will forget, man, I prayed. I said, Lord, man, we're just a little church in a little town. And Lord, you know me. I don't know how you can use this church, but God, I want you to do something wonderful through this church. Use us, please, to your honor and glory. And God laid a message on my heart, and here's the title of that message. What God is going to do through a small church in small town America. 
And I didn't realize it at that time, but as I look back, man, there, that message was jam-packed with risk. But if there's one thing I've learned over the years of ministry, if anything's going to be accomplished to the glory of God, you have to risk. You can't play it safe. You've got to step out. You've got to live by faith. And boy, there was a lot of stepping out. There was a lot of risk in what God had laid on my heart um, in this message, what God is going to do to a little church in small-town America. The first thing was I challenged the folks to begin to pray and uh, just ask God to use them to financially increase the missionaries that we were supporting. We were supporting three, and in a year's time, let's make that ten. second point was I'd like to hire a staff member. Now here's the thing, I was only getting $75 a week. <laughs> and uh, uh, we didn't have a whole lot extra money. And uh, But I laid it out there and the next few points I'll share is, is uh, reasons why I wanted to hire another staff member. But just a few days, in fact if I remember right, it was three days after I'd preached this message, one of our men came up and said, Pastor, I just want to talk to you about your message that you preached. He said, man, my heart was stirred by what you said, but man, if we hire a, uh, an associate pastor, we got to pay a salary, we got to move him here, we got to provide housing, and we just don't have that. But I want you to know, so you'll feel better about it, I'm going to buy a brand new mobile home for that family and I'm going to put, put it on my property so we have no space rent and we have no utilities. I'll take care of all of that. Where God leads, he supplies. Don't ever forget that. That was a risk and God met it immediately. So we hired an associate, a young man who'd gone through Bible college and seminary and was as smart a man as you could imagine. A lovable guy, a great young man, fine family. And he came aboard and I wanted somebody a whole lot smarter than myself, somebody who could complement the ministry and be used of God in ways that I could not because I knew my giftedness and I knew what I could not do and I knew what God could do through someone he gifted with other gifts. And Bob came aboard, and my, was he a, a blessing. First thing we did is we started a Bible institute. That was another point. A Bible college in a small church. What's, what's that all about? Uh, yeah, it was re- we had regular college courses that Bob and I were teaching. And uh, the neat thing was every adult member in that church signed up for the Bible institute. Every one of them. First semester, I thought, man, I blew it. This thing is going to be deader than a doornail. The first semester when we graded everybody's tests, I flunked four deacons. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, we posted the grades, and that's all there was to it. And when they saw their name, they were embarrassed. And they were all straight-A students from that point on. <laughs> but you know what was so neat? out of that Bible Institute and the people just like you. People just like you, hardworking people who most of them didn't have a lot, but what they had, they were giving to God. And God was beginning to do things that weren't being done before. 
Because they weren't challenged, they never stepped out, and they're stepping out now and seeing that God really is big. God really can do wonderful things through simple people. Four men were called to full-time ministry pastors out of that church through that Bible Institute. We started four churches, three of them in Nebraska, one of them failed. Uh, And there was a church up in Rapid City, South Dakota, that tried to get started and it failed. But there was one family that just wanted to start a good Bible preaching church in Rapid City, South Dakota. That was 100 miles northeast of us. And I didn't know for sure what we could do. And God said, well, hey, I laid this on your heart. I got the message. (laughs) So Sunday morning, I'd preach in Shadron, jump in the car, drive 100 miles to Rapid City, South Dakota, teach Sunday school, preach uh, the message, jump in the car, come back to Shadron in time to preach the Sunday night service. Did that for one year, and that church got established. It's amazing what God will do if we will just step up and let God use us. Tola was used of God. Look at you. Look at your God. Well, another point that uh, I had in that message was we wanted to start a Christian school. And I laid that out, and we'd been talking about it and having meetings about it, and I told them, we're not going to run a school off the offerings of the church. I've seen so many churches go down the drain that way. If you want to start a school, we have to have $10,000 on the table before we consider it seriously. Now, this is 1972. $10,000 was a lot of money. But just a week or so before we were going to have that meeting about deciding and having $10,000 on that table... The deacons called me up in front of the church one Sunday morning and said, Pastor, uh, we love you. We want to be a blessing to you. Here's a check for $40,000. Go build yourself a house. (laughs) I have no idea where that money came from to this day. No money was borrowed. Church didn't go in debt. Somehow they raised that amongst themselves. Well, all these other things, a new associate, knowing we're going to have to have $10,000 here in just a week, they gave us a check for 40000 to build a house. And in that week, we sat down, had $10,000 on the table, and we started a Christian school. Bob Bowman led that school because that's not my talent. If you saw my grades through school, you wouldn't want me teaching your kids. <laughs> so we started that school. And uh, I think about a year after we really got the ball rolling here, I stepped down. God was leading us other ways. And I know why Bob Owen was called to be the pastor of that church. After I'd stepped down, the state of Nebraska was having all kinds of conflicts over Christian education. Some of you may remember preachers were being put in jail. Churches were being closed that were trying to start Christian schools. The state and the government was wanting to control everything. Uh, To this day, the government has no business controlling the local New Testament church. And we didn't believe it then. 
And Bob Oldman was used of God to drive from Shadron, Nebraska, way up in the northwest part of the state, to Lincoln, Nebraska, way down in the uh, southeastern part of the state, for seven years going back and forth at their own expense and uh, fighting the state over that. And Bob led that uh, 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 conflict with the state of Nebraska. And after seven years, they defeated the state and churches had... Christian schools without the interference of government. I couldn't have ever done that. While all that was going on, one of the ladies that was in the church, she was one of our teachers, and she drove back and forth many a time. She got so fed up with what was going on, she said, I'm going to do something more about this. I'm going to run for state senator. And man, she got elected. (laughs) And boy, did things get shaken up when she got there. (laughs) Tola was used of God. Sharon was used of God. Bob was used of God. And I could mention many names from that little church of people who stepped up and were greatly used of God. A small church stepped up and gave themselves to God. Look at you. Folks, this took place 46 years ago. And that church is still there in Shadron, Nebraska. Luke 19:17 says, "And he said unto them him, "Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities." You see, we've been able to read the last chapter, and we know that with Jesus Christ we're going to win in the end. <laughs> Jesus Christ is coming again to take us to heaven. And then he's going to come back and he's going to rule this world. And we're going to rule with him for 1,000 years. And dependent upon our faithfulness now will determine what we're going to be used for in God's kingdom. If you be faithful over very little, I'll make you ruler over 10 cities. Man, be faithful. That's something every one of us can do, is be faithful. The Bible says, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You can be faithful. Look at you. Man, there's a lot of people over the years that here in this church, including people today, but for uh, uh, nearly 40 years now that I've been involved in this church, uh, people have been used of God in wonderful ways. Young couple, Bill and Mary Lou Wiegert, stepped forward. Bill's been pastoring a church now for for nearly 40 years. Bill and Angie Glaze, an African-American man and a a Pueblo Indian uh, wife, uh, stepped up and surrendered to preach the gospel. And Bill's pastoring right in the ghettos of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a church that's impacting thousands of people in that ghetto. Bill Glaze, football player, Fort Lewis College, got saved right here and stepped up. God can use me. Look at you. Several others over the years. Uh, Sean Matthews, uh, Jesse Ross, Justin Ross, our pastor. Uh, uh, Man, he, he grew up here. God used him from the very beginning. He was born right after we came here. Don't tell him I told you, but you go into the kitchen downstairs. We used to give him baths in the kitchen sink. It's really important for us to realize God will use you. 
He'll use me. To be used of God, how amazing that is. My son Nathan Ross was used of God and is being used of God. Uh, Mike Rosenhans, Curtis Shockey, uh, young couples that stepped up and were missionaries for, for several years in this church. They stepped up to be used of God. God will use you. Well, we read something there in verse 2 of Judges 10. Tola died. (laughs) Yeah, ain't none of us getting out of here alive. (laughs) We're all going to die. Tola died. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You're going to die. You die. Look at you, standing before God all by yourself at the judgment seat of Christ. Look at you. One of these days you're going to pick up the paper and it's going to say, Bob P. Ross died. 1946-2000. Now don't fill that 2000 in too quick, okay? (laughs) But uh, I'm sure it's going to be uh, uh, 20,000 something. But I'm going to be dead. Bob Ross, 1946-, that little dash is the totality of my life. It's all right there. Pretty humbling, isn't it? Am I so big? Am I so great? No. But my God is. And my God will use anyone who steps up and gives everything to him to be used of God. God can and will use you. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's never a waste to serve God. Look at you. Look at you right now. Look at you. And it's going to happen. It's going to be you standing before God all by yourself. Look at you. Hope and pray you'll stand up and let God have his way with your life. Will you stand with me, please? Chris, I'm going to turn it over to Chris. I want you to think about what was said here in this message. And I just encourage you to let God have his way with you, with your life. You can be used of God. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy, your love for us that you died upon Calvary's cross.